I'm going to pray. Um, yeah, Lord, please come and speak to us today, Lord. Lord, that um, what you once said, Lord, um, let it let it come out of my mouth, Lord. But anything that's from me, Lord, that is not helpful, Lord, would you take it away and and, and block it from people's minds, Lord? Because I don't want people to hear stuff from me. We need people. We we all need to hear from you, Jesus. So, Lord, would you bless? Um, uh, well, make the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Okay. Preach Sunday. Yes. Bet you're wondering what I'm going to preach about. Why is there not a heading up there? Well, there will be in a second, which is that. You're all looking at me strange. What's he going on about? Well, I like pie and pop in more than one sense too. For instance, I love a good pie. I like a cherry pie or an apple pie. I like a chicken and an asparagus pie or a beef and potato pie. And my absolute favorite pie is a chicken balti pie made by Pucker. But I can only get it when I go to watch the Jills because it's what they call a stadium pie. So you can't buy it in the shops where you can about twice a year if you go into the supermarket. And it's actually got written on the box, chicken balti pie, stadium pie. So I have to go to have the pie, right? I have to go and have, so, so I have to go and get the pie. And I like pop too, particularly Pepsi Cola. I, I drink it most days, in fact. It's my favorite soft drink. I know it's not good for you, but I love the stuff. I love the stuff, and if you're brave enough to root about in the back of my car out there, um, you're likely to come across several 500 milliliter bottle, empty bottles of Pepsi <laughs> from when I drive back and forth to work. You're probably thinking, why is Jim preaching about pie and pop? Where is this in the Bible? Has Jim lost it? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But as I said earlier, I like pie and pop, and in more than one sense. And just like um, the food and drink versions, the other sense is flavoursome and fizzy too. What am I talking about? I'm talking about prayer. Prayer? What's that got to do with the price of pies? What has that got to do? Well, before I answer that, I'm going to scoot into Matthew chapter 6. Um, Emma... I don't think so. Will Emma, Emma's obviously uh, elsewhere today. No. She's not. She's not well. Ah, okay, fair enough. Well, Emma, you may remember a few weeks ago preached on the Lord's Prayer. Um, I'm not going to preach on the Lord's Prayer, but I'm going to preach a little bit on, or use rather, anchor this with the little bit just before the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus leads up to it. Um, so I won't be going through the Lord's Prayer. We're not going to rework it. Emma did a great job of that, and, and, we, and it doesn't need redoing. But Matthew 6, verse 5 to 8. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Who's he talking about? Jesus was referring to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the priests, the ones who made sure everyone had their sin pointed out to them and made it look like they were holy and whiter than white, and yet they weren't. And in their heart, Jesus said, they were like a tomb full of bones. Um, 
That's who he was talking about. When you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites. For they pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When, but when you pray, go to your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. If you're still bamboozled as to, as to why I think I'm linking pie and pop with prayer, then let me explain. About the 18th of July, hang on, am I skipping on? I've got my little notes here. There, pie, question mark. About the 18th of July, I got an email from the people that organised the bookings for the school, not the actual school themselves, but this company they've employed to do it. And I got an email out of the blue, uh, which threw a huge spanner in the works, um, particularly for this community Sunday meeting place over the summer, because they were cancelling all our bookings up to September. And we had about six to eight weeks where um, I had to, or we had to fill somewhere, are we going to meet, are we going to go elsewhere, what are we going to do? And so I was frantically texting Boller and Dele and Val and Florence <laughs> about this issue, and whilst messaging back and forth between ourselves, I felt like this surge of faith rising up in me that we must pray to overcome this, this issue, um, because I felt it was the enemy attacking us. I think Kate had just put a, an advert into the local village voices for us. We were getting new families coming in. There was, there was momentum happening, and all of a sudden, you can't meet. Um, and I felt that that was an enemy attack, attempting to halt that momentum. And in that moment as we were messaging each other, I believe the Holy Spirit dropped a phrase into my brain as I was typing, um, which is this. Prayer is everything. Uh, prayer is everything. And that, that phrase has stuck with me since the, that day and leading up to today. And I felt that that's what God wanted to talk to me, talk to us about this morning. In fact, I was going to preach on something completely different today. And as I was prepping this week and getting quite stressed, none of it was going together. It didn't fit. I couldn't make it sound right. I couldn't back it up with certain bits of scripture, even though I thought that's what I was supposed to be preaching about. And when I prayed, God said, I don't want you to talk about that. I want you to talk about this. Prayer is everything. And I felt that the Lord wanted to imprint and emblazon on our, on our uh, spiritual mindsets as like a foundational thing in everything we do as a community and as a church. Prayer is everything. You've probably heard a lot of people preach on prayer. Do you think, oh, another sermon on prayer, great. I'm hoping that's not going to be the way this is going to end up and you're actually going to be excited about it. Prayer is everything. And as I thought about this, I thought about the early churches, um, you know, with the apostles and Paul planting churches all over the place. And I thought, how does this phrase and mindset fit in with what the Bible says? Does it ring true in Scripture and in the history of the early churches as their mode of operating? Does it ring true? So I thought I'd rattle through a few, a few events from, from 
Acts. I won't read them out in the thing, I'll summarise them. But Acts 1 and 2, it says after Jesus was taken up into heaven, the apostles and the 120 believers joined together constantly in prayer. And this continued right up to Pentecost. And you know what happened next. Now, before I carry on, for the kids and for the adults, every time I say something along the lines of, and, he, and they did what? Or, and they said what? Or, they did whatever, and I go like that, I want you to shout either prayer, prayed, or praying, depending on what I'm talking about. So, like Eric said last week, 100% participation. I don't want prayer, praying. I want prayer. Okay, praying. Okay, Acts 1 and 2. So we've just said that 120 of them praying together, and the Holy Spirit comes in awesome power, blows through the house like a violent wind, like a, like a hur- hurricane from heaven, and tongues of fire came and rested on the head of each and every person. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues, clothed with power, just like Jesus said they would be. What were they doing before all this happened? They? I didn't quite hear you. Thank you. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have just been released after being arrested by the chief, the chief priest's temple guards. That was a mouthful. For preaching the gospel. They'd been commanded not to speak and not to teach in the name of Jesus anymore. Then they go back to the church, that 120 people. Except they're not 120 people now. They're now 3,120 because on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to the church. So he goes back to the 3,120. And what are they told to do next? They pray, pray, raising their voices together to God like Val was getting us to do a minute ago. What happens next? The place they were in was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again and spoke the word of God boldly. Why did God do it again? Because he poured it out on the 120 and now there's 3,120. So he poured it out on them as well just to make sure everyone was full. And they spoke the word of God boldly even though they were told not to. Acts 12 King Herod's just arrested and executed James. James as in brother of John. And Herod arrests Peter and throws him in prison to await trial. But verse 5 says, But the church was earnestly doing what? Praying. Praying to God for Peter. The night before Peter was tried and surrounded by soldiers and the guards that he was chained to, The angel of the Lord peers in the cell and wakes Peter up. I'm thinking he must have toned down the brightness, otherwise everyone would have been awake. But but the the, the angel of the Lord appeared before uh, Peter, and it says that the... um, Where are we? I'm losing my thread. Um, uh, It says he wakes him up, and his chains fall off, and Peter and this angel of the Lord walk straight out of prison, back to the 3,120... where the believers, where many of them had been doing what? Praying. Praying. Acts 6, Paul and Silas have been been arrested and flogged. 
and they're slung in prison in Philippi, Macedonia. And about the midnight in prison, Paul and Silas uh, are doing what? Praying and worshipping. And what happens? A huge earthquake happens. And all the prison doors and all their chains come off. And the jailer comes running in, pulls out his own sword because he thinks they're all escaped. I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to kill myself. That's what it says. But Paul and Silas decided to stay. And so he was so shocked. And he got the, they got the opportunity to preach the gospel to him. And him, his family, and all his household were, became Christians and they were baptised. And then to top that off, as they were all doing that, this magistrate, officials from the magistrates turns up and says, we've been told to let these two guys go. All this happened because they were what? Acts 28. Paul's in Malta and he's staying at the house of, um, of the chief official of Malta. His name was Publius. And it says, while he was staying there, Publius's father was sick with fever and dysentery. Dysentery is not nice now and pretty dangerous. Back then, it was deadly. It probably still is today, to be fair. Um, Paul goes in to see him. And does he go up to him and lay his hands on him and command it to go in the night? No. It says, Paul went in and, and it says, after what he'd prayed, after Paul had prayed, he lays his hands on the guy and heals his father, and everyone hears about it, verse 9, and all of Malta's sick people come there, and Paul prays and heals them as well. All this happened after what? What? Prayer. Now, that's the example of the early church. But what about Jesus? Does prayer is everything ring true with uh, as a foundational mindset of Jesus' ministry. What do you think? It does. How do you know? You're, on the right, you're all on the right path here. <laughs> you're following my drift. Um, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record roughly 25 different instances where Jesus was what? Praying. Praying. Some of these events are repeated across the Gospels, so I'm only counting the ones that are repeated across them as one event, okay? So, but roughly 25. Without going through them all, <laughs> you'll be glad to hear, each and every time Jesus is doing what? Praying. You all sound like you're getting fed up of shouting praying, but keep up the fervor. <laughs> um, and it also, on these instances, each and every time before he does, he's about to do something miraculous or spiritual power is displayed, what is he doing? Praying. For example, Luke, Luke chapter 3. Jesus is baptised in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And then it says, verse 21, he was what? Heaven was opened, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and God's, the Father's voice booms from heaven and says, You are my own dear Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Oh, and Jesus left in full, the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit. He'd been what? He literally prayed as he came out of the water. Everyone thought that, that was the great event. Look, up he comes out of the water. No. 
Jesus prays, heaven opens. Luke chapter 9, Jesus is teaching 5,000 men and women and children. So double that, think of that many people. And they're all hungry, it's getting late in the day, like it is here, and you're all hoping I'm going to finish soon. <laughs> if Jesus was there, you wouldn't, because he's a better preacher. Um, and they went round, and all they had was five loaves and two fishes. You know the story, right? Little boys pack lunch. How is he going to feed them with all that? From one boy. The Bible says Jesus takes the loaves and fish and looks up to heaven and gives thanks and broke them up. What does giving thanks mean, in other words? Praying. And then what happened? Multiplication for thousands and thousands and thousands of people were fed after prayer. Luke chapter 11, Lazarus, Jesus' friend and, and brother of Mary and Martha, Jesus' other friends, he gets ill and dies while Jesus is away. And Lazarus is buried in a tomb with a big stone put over the front. Does it sound familiar? Big stone put over the front. And four days later, Jesus comes back. Martha, I'll cut, you, cut the short story here so I won't get you into all the bit in between. But Mary and Martha take him to Lazarus' tomb. And Jesus tells the people there, roll the big stone away. I won't get into what they said to him, but they were shocked, as you would be, if someone was unrolling a gravestone. Um, and just before Jesus commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb, what does Jesus do? Come on, louder. Pray. Good, thank you. <laughs> Verse 41, so they took the stone away and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus prayed, and a man who'd been dead four days suddenly came back to life and walked out of a tomb. That was a miracle. He was dead, dead. Wasn't just only just died, he was properly dead. After what? Prayer. What was that? Was that dissension at the back there? I'll speak to you later, Dele. I've got my pop with me. <laughs> Interrupting. <laughs> um, right, okay. So, on many occasions, as I heard my dad say when I, I said to you about Jesus' ministry, we read that he got up early and went to lonely places. Before he did anything else, he did what? Prayed. It seems that Jesus knew prayer is everything. He was part of the Godhead. And before he came to this earth, Jesus the, Father, Jesus the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, exist together in one uh, mutually uh, loving and affectionate relationship where the power from them is in their unity. And so when Jesus came to earth, well, he's not attached in that sense anymore. So what, he, what did he have to do to make sure he was still in contact? Prayed. Now you're wondering, okay, we've had enough of this pie. What's all the pop about? Can anyone guess? 
Close. Close, Kate. What was that? Oh. <laughs> the purpose of prayer. So after all that pie, to make it go down a little easier, we want to wash it down with some pop. We can take the mindset of prayer is everything if we know what the purpose of it is for. Why is it important? I felt the Lord speak to me about three purposes. What is the purpose of prayer? Number one, can you see that? To contact heaven and talk with God. We just said Jesus spent hours with his Father early in the morning and in the evening too. And in all the in-betweens in between. He was praying throughout his day. Even though he was fully God, he was also fully man. We know that, right? Yeah? And because of that, he was limited. He was limited in his human body in terms of strength and energy, just like we are. Jesus knows what it's like to be exhausted and tired. He knows what it's like. And because of this, he couldn't be everywhere at once either. So he literally prioritized time with his father as the number one thing. That relationship with his dad, he needed that to be able to fulfill his ministry and his mission. He needed communion with the father all the time. This is Jesus. This is God we're talking about. He needed that. And in these times, God the father strengthened him not only physically, but empowered him spiritually it's like when God and him were communing and this power was poured out on him, it was that which enabled his frail body to keep going. And Jesus told us we're to call God Father, or Abba, not the band. Abba, Dad, Daddy. That was revolutionary in Israel. No one dared refer to God as Dad or Daddy. It was seen as well, a bit too familiar with the Almighty God. But Jesus said, pray to your Father, pray to your Abba. This is where our relationship's grown. This is where it grows, when we talk to him without all that Christianese that we sometimes spout. You know, when we go to prayer meetings and there's always someone that prays for about 24 hours before anyone else has had a chance. <laughs> Jesus said, don't babble on. I was listening to Terry Virgo this week um, on my way home. Yes, I do listen to other people other than uh, Tony Evans. I was listening to Terry Virgo, and he was talking about um, sacrifice, and he was using that bit in Romans where it says, um, present your bodies as living sacrifices. And he was talking, and he was saying about when you've died in Christ, I mean, raised to new life, the old you is gone. He said, so the stuff you used to do when you were younger or not a believer, you don't get to do that anymore. And that really hit me. And he was talking about the things where we, we kind of switch off and we go and do that thing. Or we even know, God probably doesn't like it, but I'm going to say it or, or react to it anyway. Because that's our flesh trying to battle with the spirit in us. And he was saying, but those are the things. He wasn't, he, Terry wrote about grace. He's one of the biggest preachers on grace. Don't get me wrong. This is not supposed to be heavy and you must do this, you must do that. 
But when we follow Jesus, we must follow the life of Jesus. And so he's saying, present your bodies. And I felt like the Holy Spirit convicted me in that moment in my car. And I probably had the most honest conversation I've had with God in my whole life, driving home. There was no Christianese in it. It was just me talking to my father and saying, Lord, I know I do this stuff, but I can't help it sometimes. And I don't want to be like that. I know there's something wrong in here. Lord, I can't do it without you. Dad, I need you to fix me. It was such a normal, everyday conversation, not like the ones you hear in prayer meetings. And isn't that what prayer is? It's talking to God. And that was like revolutionary to me, that I had this conversation I'd have like I would with my own dad or with a friend. Just honest. Um, And I think God likes that as well. Just to be clear about that, I think God loves that. He'd rather that than all the waffle that we spout sometimes and all the clever words out of theology. Because otherwise, and also in prayer meetings, it makes people feel like they can't pray because they don't know how to. God don't care. God doesn't care. He wants to hear from here, not from what we think he wants to hear. I'm lost. Where am I? (laughs) God wants real relationship with him. Although he's almighty God, he's dad. He's dad. And we're safe there to be completely honest with him, to tell him our worst fears, to tell him our our weaknesses, our failings, our tiredness, our pain. We can tell him all that. And in this quiet place with dad, as Matthew 6 says, he will reward us. The Pharisees were the ones with all the long words And he said, they've had their reward, people looking at them. God will reward our prayers when we close our doors and just spend time with him. He'll reward us for being honest and for reaching into him for power and strength. And it's this place with, what will he he strengthen us with? Well, strength for a start, peace, courage, healing, faith, self-control. His power, his attributes. This private place where no one else is. And it's the most vital part of the Christian life. When we're in private, somebody said that earlier in the service, when no one else is looking, I think it was Jen, and you can't do without it, by the way. We try to, most of the time we do. I'm too busy but we've got to make time. I know that you're going to say to me, well, gee, I don't want to get up by the crack of dawn like Jesus. Neither do I. I hate getting up in the morning. I'm not talking about just then. It's any time. Any time. Give every part of your life to God. Work, play, rest, holiday, worries, cares, all of it. Prayer is everything. Purpose number two. For God's power to be displayed and released in our lives and on earth. Again, Matthew 6, just like Jesus taught us, we need to talk to our Father in heaven because he has everything at his disposal that we need to live the Christian life 
and to live our callings that he's marked out for us. It's because it's in his power. It's in it's his storehouse of riches. It's his provision. And he has it all in him. It's all in him. Because God is your source and everything else is your resource. It's the greatest resource God has given us and put at our disposal. And before somebody says, oh no, the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are God. Therefore, they're the source, not the resource. Prayer is the greatest resource that has been put at our disposal and we often neglect it. When we're in need, when we're in trouble, when we need a move of God, when we, we, we need him to shift something that's blocking our lives or our ministry, that as a church, we need to call on him through prayer. We need to call on him through prayer. It's the first thing we do. That's what the church in Acts did. It was the first thing they did. Is go to God in the name of Jesus. The first thing. Why? Because prayer always precedes power, protection, providence, and prevailing. I'll say that again. Prayer precedes power, protection, providence, and prevailing. God designed prayer to enable you to touch heaven in order to get God's intervention on earth. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. 2 Corinthians, in the Corinthian church, verse 1, in, 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 uh, sorry, chapter 1 verse 11 in the ESV, Paul says, you must help us by what? Prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the what's of many? Prayers of many. Paul knew it. Jesus knew it. Prayer. Purpose three. Prayer changes you. How does prayer change you? Firstly, because dependence is realized there. We realize we're dependent upon God, on Jesus in prayer, because very often there are situations in our lives or as a church that no one can fix except God. Do you remember prayers in your life where you knew no one could fix it and you prayed and something happened? Raise your hand if that's happened in your life. No one else could fix it. What did you do? You It's from when you see, after you've prayed, the Lord help you or deliver you from a tough situation or he answers you, that you realize your utter dependence upon him. And the longer you go on following Jesus, this doesn't change. In fact, we realize we need him more and more. It's in this dependence that we've been strengthened and transformed. Prayer is a place of transformation and strengthening. And this, in turn, changes you because faith comes in the place of prayer. Place of prayer. Tongue twister there. We grow in faith the more we pray. The more he moves and the more he answers, the more we pray. Not always what we want, 
But he answers so that we know, like Jesus said, he hears us and cares for us. And lastly, prayer changes us because of forgiveness is found there. In this place relationship with God, we find forgiveness there. We were talking about it earlier. It says, and when we've been forgiven of something we feel quite bad about, it's like we've never sinned when we repent. Puts it as far away from him as the east is from the west. He buries it in the depths of the sea. And when you say, Lord, do you remember what I did last week? He says, no. He refuses to remember it. That's grace. Because all my bad stuff goes through my mind regularly. I constantly remind myself, don't we? God doesn't. We grow in faith the more we pray and, and we find forgiveness there. And we're able to forgive others there. When we've done something that we know we're wrong, we're full of guilt, God releases us, his forgiveness. And it's as if we never sinned, as I've just said. The beauty of that release from the burden of sin is so freeing. When you feel rotten about something that you've done or said or reacted to, and you say, sorry, the burden of that release is beautiful. And it's the same when we forgive others before God. Because again, it releases us from the hurt, from the anger, from the bitterness. And God then is able to forgive us when we forgive others in that place of prayer. It's when we don't forgive and we harm ourselves and block, we block our relationship with God because he won't move or listen to our prayers until we forgive. It says it in Peter. Husbands, live with your wives in understanding and live with them gently so that your prayers will not be hindered. We've got to forgive others and we don't want our prayers to be hindered. Anyone had a dent in their car? You've come back from the shops or the, the, car, uh, the work car park and there's a dent in your car. And you're thinking, you know, who did this? They've dented my car and they haven't left a note. They've just took off. And you feel so angry. You're like, really? I can't believe they did that to me. I feel violated. I've got to pay for that now. And we drive around for the next month and probably years angry at someone we've never met or ever will. Don't we? Muttering to ourselves. And each and every time we see another dent. Yeah, that person that didn't do that. And we're so angry. that we'll ne- God wants, even in that, to release that person. Because the only person that's getting hurt is you. It's like drinking poison and hoping the other guy dies. <laughs> A lot of us go around with dented souls. From things people have done to us and taken off. We're angry, we're bitter, and the pain's still raw. But when we go to dad with it, and we say we forgive them for what they did to me, and we keep going back to dad and forgiving them, that's when the Lord's able to change us and take those dents out of our hearts and our souls. When he's able to fill them and paint them again and polish them up like new. Anyone got those dents? I know I have had in my life. 
We need to take him to dad. And when he does this, there's no more block to our prayers or our relationship with him. We're back in, the, in contact with the source of all things, our Father in heaven. Let me ask you one more thing before I finish. Do you want a piece of that pie? Remember, prayer is everything. So we're going to finish now. Um, what's the time? Okay, um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll finish here, but I'm going to say, think of what we've just been talking about, the early church, the example to us. Bola talked about prayer meetings, and we don't want to be up behind you, feeling like, oh, I've got an arm up behind my back, I must attend the prayer meeting, otherwise people are going to look down on me. It's not that at all. It's because we're in this together. We're in this together. We want us, do we, don't we want to see people across who in the peninsula change and this place full of people so that we have to move out to somewhere else? Yes? Pray. We're in this together. Join. Let's get before God because the early church, when they prayed, stuff changed. God answered. Let's pray. Maybe you want today through prayer of forgiveness either for yourself or to forgive others that person to fill up and polish those dents maybe that's you in your soul and your heart and your mind and it needs it needs panel beating it needs banging out and making new maybe you want to ask God for healing this morning Maybe you want the Holy Spirit to ask you, help, help you with your prayer conversations. I don't know how to talk to God. I find prayer difficult. Show it, ask the Holy Spirit to show you as we pray over you, for you to be filled. Because so, the Holy Spirit is supposed to show you how to pray. So we can be honest with the Spirit. We can be honest with the Father. It's Him who guides us, not the people with the long prayers and the fancy words. So if that's you this morning, any of those things, or something else, there's a prayer banner there. A what banner? Prayer. Don't let it and me stand on my own. <laughs> if you want prayer, come forward. Myself, Bola, Val, would love to pray with you. Others, if there's people, can help us. But don't walk out of this place without prayer. It's everything. Literally is everything in your life. Right. <laughs> Shall we pray? <laughs> Lord, would your word sit in our hearts, Lord? Would you embed it, Lord? Would you embrace it, this word you've given us this morning, Lord, and cause us to be mindful of it, not just today, not just this afternoon, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and on and on and on. Because, Lord, we need you. And, Lord, we know you change us in that place. Lord, let our relationship with you, as we've committed this morning to, to follow you as we came up the front, Lord, would you change us through our prayer time with you, Lord, as we just talk to Dad. We talk to Daddy. Lord, you're a good Father, and you're a good God. And so, Lord, we, we pray and we're expectant for you to move this morning, Lord, because as we pray, you move. So, Lord, we want to thank you for all you've done for us, all that you've done for us, Jesus, and the place and the privilege that you've given us 
through prayer. Amen.